Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's so good to be with you here today. I want to say thank you, worship team. Thanks for leading us this morning. Church, I miss you. I miss getting to gather together with you, but I'm so thankful that we still have this platform where we can continue to connect online with one another. As our province is opening up a little bit, I do hope you've been able to um, connect with others on Sunday mornings in a way that you're comfortable with, whether that's um, in your backyard or in your home, and watch church and do church together alongside other people. I love what the worship artist Stephanie Gretzinger has been saying for a number of months before anyone had even heard about COVID, that revival is going to take place around kitchen tables in homes, around fires, the breaking of bread, a kind of returning to that Acts season where we see the Acts church starting in Acts 2. We may not be able to gather in one building, but we have been deployed and our mandate hasn't changed. We're still the church and we're still to live on mission and encouraging people, partnering with God to see people turn towards Christ. Today, we're going to continue on in our series called Fearless, and we're going to take a look at Psalm 34.4. I can't imagine a better time to be pressing in on a series like this when rates of fear and uncertainty are just rising around us. The reality is that life without Jesus, there is reason to fear. But in the midst of what rages on around us, God calls us to surrender to him and invites us into a life without fear. The safest place we'll ever find ourselves is in the presence of God. So before we get started, church, I want to invite you just to pray with me. So Father, I thank you for this morning, Jesus. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you for the work that you're doing in the hidden and the unseen and in the seen. Jesus, I thank you that you are closer than the air that we breathe. Thank you that you're fighting on our behalf. I thank you, Father, that when a problem arises, that there's a solution already there in your name, Jesus. Father, thank you that you dwell so close with us and that you invite us into partnership with you. So Jesus, we pray for this morning, pray that you would just open us up to what you have to re- for us to receive. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So Psalm 34 is one of the handful of psalms that gives us a glimpse into the situation that prompted the psalm writer to write this psalm. In fact, much of the depth and the authority of this psalm comes directly from its context. So if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to open up to Psalm 34. What you'll notice is there, at the beginning of the psalm, there is a note at the top that says, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Um, we learn about the situation more in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So feel free to actually flip over there as we'll spend a bit of time looking through the context of the psalm. In reading through these chapters in 1 Samuel, we find that this is likely one of the lowest, if not the lowest points in David's life up until this point. We find David in a place of great disappointment and desperation. In the chapter right before this, in 1 Samuel 20, we read that David has just ended a friendship with his best friend, Jonathan, because Jonathan's father, Saul, wants to kill him. Saul was the king of Israel at the time, but God rejected Saul from being king. So David sent the prophet Samuel to to anoint David to become the next king. When Saul finds this out, he tries to kill David. If you felt lost in those details, the main thing to remember is that Saul, the king of Israel, is out to kill David. Once his intention to kill David becomes obvious, David flees town and runs for his life. He didn't have any weapons with him, and he was alone. We also read that he was without food, he was without shelter, and he was hungry. At the beginning of chapter 21, we learn that David travels south and comes to the priest at Nob. David asked for a weapon and increased, oh, sorry, David asked him if he has any food that he could spare, and the priest gives him some bread. 
David also asks for a weapon, and interestingly, the only weapon that the priest has to offer David is the sword that belonged to Goliath when he battled and was defeated by David. I love this twist in the story, and I think it communicates something really profound about who God is. As we know in the story of David and Goliath, David slung a stone at Goliath, causing him to fall to the ground. And it was then that David used Goliath's sword to cut off his head. This word symbolizes that God was near to David and leading him into a time of victory against all odds. It reminds me that God chose to take a young shepherd boy and bring him into and make him into a giant for the Lord. So when that very same sword is handed back to David in this moment of need, it symbolizes that the Lord is still with David. So back to the story we go. David now has the weapon of his former enemy, some food in his stomach, and he continues to run. He leaves Israel and goes over to the territory of the Philistines, to one of their major cities called Gath. Upon arriving in Gath, we see that he, David hopes that he's likely able just to slip in quietly, blend in with the locals and hide. But unfortunately, this plan doesn't quite go as well planned. He gets there and his reputation precedes him. You see, David from a young age is a mighty warrior. He fought um, as a key part in Saul's army. And we know that he fought in some important and really significant battles. As a result, he's built up a reputation as being a strong and mighty warrior, which made the people of Gath see him as a threat. So needless to say, when they notice who David is and put the pieces together, they're not so happy to see him. David's in a bad situation. He realizes this quickly and thinks on his feet. He decides, well, I better act like an insane person and try to get out of this. We read this in chapter 21, verse 13, that David changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let spit run down his beard. When they bring David before the king, the king essentially says, I've got enough crazy people around me. I don't need you adding to the number of crazy people in my house. So David's outlandish and on-the-spot plan works, and he gets out of, he gets out of trouble here. Um, the servants and the king let him go because they make it pretty clear they don't want another crazy person around them. So on David, David goes and continues to run for his life, likely carrying very little hope that he's going to survive. He has nothing with him besides the clothes he's wearing and the sword that was just giving, given to him. While we can't read David's motivations in his running, we can conclude that it looks or it appears as though David has taken the Lord out of the picture. And in his uncertainty, he has forgotten how he has seen God move and work powerfully in his life. It seems like David may be trying to fix this situation on its own instead of surrendering it to the Lord. So David departs from Gath, and we read in chapter 22 that he's gone and hidden himself in the cave of Adullam, which is situated halfway between Gath and Bethlehem. And it's in this context, in the context of running for his life, of dodging death by acting like a crazy person, that we're told he writes Psalm 34. Now that we have a little glimpse of the background, let's turn back to Psalm 34. And as we read through it, I encourage you to think more specifically on the context that the psalm was written from and the events that have just happened. Imagine yourself sitting in that cave with David as he writes out these words. So Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. 
This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for ye those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many of his days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and turn your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Those are some rich, beautiful, powerful words to communicate in this posture, in this time of running for one's life, in a time of desperation and fear. A cave seems like a pretty good place to spend some quality, undivided time with the Lord. And I imagine that as a result of this time with God, David um, has regained some perspective and recognized that although it appears that he has nothing, he has everything he needs found in the Lord. He may have acted like a fool in front of the king of Gath, but he wasn't so foolish as to neglect praising the one who was in the process of rescuing him. He may have hidden in a cave, but the psalm tells us he also hid himself in the comfort of the Lord. Though he wanted to run, he found that the only way forward was by pausing in the presence of the one who would rescue him, the one who would save him. Church, I hope this compels us to reflect on what our greatest source of comfort is in times of trouble. When everything feels like it's spinning out of control, who do we go to? And do we try to figure things out on our own? Do we, who do we look to for comfort and direction? Do we pause at the feet of the one who is able to turn our situation around? David reminds us that the only way forward is to see God, our refuge, our strength, and our source of all things. He couldn't simply snap his fingers and rescue himself, and neither can we. He couldn't magically will himself into a new situation, and neither can we. He could only go so far in his own strength and will, and so can we. The only solution, rather than staying perpetually burdened and exhausted, is to come to the Father and root ourselves in the rest of the Lord. As St. Augustine put it, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So what do David's words mean for us then? How does his context speak to our current realities? I think there are a few things that we can look at from here. This is a psalm that comforts those who are alone or who feel without hope, who find themselves at a low point in life, just as David did in those days. It's an encouragement for those who feel like they're caught between a rock and a hard place, with nowhere to go and no end in sight. It's for you and I when everything or everyone around us seems to be against us. It's a psalm that reminds us that God is a God who hears, who answers, and who delivers us. He is the one we're surrendering to. This psalm is a testimony of the delivered written by one who has been through pain and is still sitting in pain, and yet chooses to walk in the knowledge and the goodness of the Lord. One who recognizes it's all for God's glory, and that it's the Lord himself that is our one true deliverer. David reminds us of God's protection in the midst of trials. Often when we go through a tough season, we long to talk with someone who has walked a similar path to us before. 
the one who's tasted pain or suffering that we're in the midst of. I think we do this because we want wisdom. We crave the lessons learned, and ultimately, we want that hope too that we will make it through. It's important to note that David's situation didn't do, could turn and turn around and do a complete 180 after coming to the Lord and writing this psalm. The reality was he was still alone. He was still hiding. He was still in a cave. There were people still out to get him, and he was still very much in danger. As we read further in 1 Samuel, we see God slowly begins to change David's situation and deliver him, but it's not instantaneous. In this psalm, we see the, the theme of deliverance mentioned four times. So if you look back in your Bible in Psalm 34, you'll see that in verse 4, David talks about being delivered from our fears. In verse 7, he speaks to a general deliverance for those who fear him. And in verse 17, we see him mentioning that the, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from their troubles. And lastly, in verse 19, we hear of the, um, David's words suggesting that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. So this psalm is not suggesting that we won't have fears, that we won't find enemies, that we won't run into trouble or afflictions, but it does promise deliverance from them through the Lord. Church, when we are in a place where we feel like we're drowning in our fears or feel like we're walking in seasons of darkness, do we wholeheartedly believe that God can and desires to deliver us from these places? Do we believe and step into the truth that God is not only capable of delivering us, but he also delights in leading us into greater places of freedom? Like David ended up doing, we need to spend time alone with God. And not only in the midst of intense seasons when things around us are spiraling out of control and it feels like we've reached the limit on all that we can handle, but also when life is going well and we find ourselves coasting along in the day-to-day. -day. David ran to a cave, not with an intention or a desire to flee from the Lord, but because he was afraid and he likely had nowhere else to turn. Sometimes we go through situations where we come face to face with our dependency on the Lord in a greater way, and where we learn to lean on him in a new way, praying and listening and meditating on his word, drinking on his goodness, and in turn, our hearts become softer to the things that he speaks. We become more receptive to his voice, obedient to his guiding, and strengthened in his authority. I encourage you to think about what areas in your life are you needing to hear the promises of God? What areas are you not acknowledging his control? Where might you be missing out on that beautiful freedom he longs to give you? Jesus comes in peace. He is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit is peace. Peaceful. And he calls us into more. God calls us into more. Where is the Lord leading you to step out in faith and leave your doubt behind? Where are you being asked to follow in boldness and embrace after him? For the remainder of this morning, we're going to camp around Psalm 34.4 which again reads that I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Another translation reads, listen to my testimony. I cried to God in my distress and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. We see four stages in this verse where we know that David feared and he sought and then the Lord heard and delivered. David sought the Lord, meaning he gazed upon him. He approached him, likely still with fear and trembling, but the, with the expectation that he would rescue. He talked with God, yearned after him, and made his requests known. It was a deliberate seeking after the Lord. Church, nowhere in the Bible do we see that seeking after the Lord or waiting on the Lord is a passive act. This is diligent. It's soaking in, the, in God's goodness. And it's very much an active thing that we get to participate in. God heard David, and he responded by delivering David from all of his fears. God didn't reject or ignore or abandon David. Instead, he stripped him from every single one of his fears. 
Scripture doesn't specify that he only took away one or two concerns. Rather, he eradicated them all. And he answered me. This is one of the most frequent phrases that we see in the, in the Psalms, a theme repeated over and over again, that God answers and hears and responds to the prayers of his people. As we pray, our words don't fall on deaf ears or land on someone who is disinterested. Rather, the complete opposite. They are heard by a loving father desiring close relationship with his sons and daughters. They are heard by our creator, our king, and our savior. These words from David offer us hope and point us to the one where all hope is found. I believe David may have shared these words with us too, as if we were in a similar situation where he was. As if he was a close friend who would come to us and tell us that he himself had sought the Lord and the Lord answered him. That he took away fears, that he delivered him from darkness. That he may even remind us that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David may also go on to remind us that God is near to the brokenhearted and save those crushed in spirit. And I'm sure too that David would remind us that in God's goodness, he has the power to do the same for you too. Church, I want you to take a minute and picture Jesus interceding with the Father on your behalf in the room right next door to you. Imagine the words he would say and the love that you would feel and see in his care for you. When you experience fear, picture this. Picture our Jesus talking to the Father on your behalf and feel the weight of those fears lessen. Some people live their whole lives being afraid and allowing fear to torment them, living and operating from a worldview that is constantly expecting the worst. Church, this is definitely the trajectory I was on. A few weeks ago, Joel invited me up to share briefly a little bit about my story with panic attacks and, and anxiety. I mentioned then that I was diagnosed with an anxiety and panic disorder just over 10 years ago while in high school. There were days where I had multiple panic attacks, and it got to the point where for over two weeks, I wasn't able to leave our house. The fear was real. It was paralyzing, and it was overwhelming. I was engrossed in it, and I let fear have the final say. Anxiety is part of my story, but it's also one of the most beautifully redemptive parts of my own life, as I've experienced layer upon layer of breakthrough and healing. From leaving our house for the first time in two weeks, to walking to the end of the driveway without a panic attack, to going all the way to the mailbox, a mere 30 or 40 feet from our front door, to getting into a car, to making it through a full day of school, graduating high school, to moving on to university campus, to getting on planes and moving cities. Some of these seem like incredibly small accomplishments that maybe aren't even worth mentioning, but the reality is I was burdened and weighted down by fear. Each one of these demonstrates a loving father and his ability to break through our fears and bring us into a greater level of freedom. There is no place, church, no place besides the gospel that has more good news for the weak and the fearful. It's not just great news for salvation, but also for redemptive and full life here on earth. These pages continually invite us to let the peace of God consume us. As we read in Romans, we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. We inherit everything that Christ is. And this is the best news. He gives us peace and his strength is now ours. This, there is an invitation to acknowledge the end of our earthly ability and to, be, to come to the end of ourselves so that we're met with Christ, to receive his peace, his joy, and his strength. As Joel mentioned a few weeks ago, we are invited into an exchange, an exchange for fear and in return joy. We get to exchange our limits for his limitlessness. We get his characteristics and his strength. When fear creeps in, we can move out of fear mode and into faith mode. And one thing that we can do to do this is by thinking on the works and the words of the Lord. 
we can remember the testimonies of what God has done before for ourselves and for others and know that he will do it again. Revelation 19 verse 10 says, for the testimony of this Jesus is the spirit of, tes- of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If we forget what Jesus has done, it becomes easier to forget about what he is going to do. I heard one pastor say, sometimes it's not new revelation, but renewed revelation. Similarly, it's not new hope, but renewed hope. Psalm 78 verses 9 through 11 tells us the Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to the law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Church, let's not get in the habit of doing this. Let's not forget the powerful testimonies that fill the pages of scripture. Let's not forget the markers in our own life where we have seen God move in radical and real ways. As we recall the actions of what God has done and thank thank him for them, we move into a place of praise and into the presence. And one of the very best ways that we can get out of the presence of the enemy is by getting into the presence of God. As David's words in Psalm 16 verse 11 remind us, in his presence there is fullness of joy. He's the one thing that never goes away. His capacity has no limits. Our fears shrink in their capacity to consume and overtake us when we look to the vastness and the grandeur of God. When we fix our gaze on who God is, on his goodness, on how he controls and knows all things. So as we look to wrap up here, I want us to take another look at verses 4 through 8 of Psalm 34. I'm going to read them again one more time. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So church, in your fears, in your anxiety, in your loneliness, in those feelings of being lost, know you're not alone. God is with you, and he protects, and he um, delivers his children. He will deliver you from your fears and your enemies. We serve a God who hears our cries and cares for us and delights in filling us with hope. And not only does he promise to hear and deliver us, in doing so we get a greater glimpse, a taste even of his goodness, of his sovereignty, of his love. We learn that in our suffering, he is with us and he is for us. He doesn't abandon us and he doesn't leave us. If you're joining us this morning and you don't know the Lord, I want to let you know he hasn't forgotten you. He sent his son to rescue you so that you can have hope and eternal life in heaven. You can choose to trust in him this morning, to place your trust, to place your joy, to place your struggles and your anxieties, and to put your hope in him, in the Father who is longing to embrace you. I invite you to pray with me as we close up this morning. So Jesus... We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you never leave us, that you never abandon us. Father, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for people. Father, would you recapture hearts, God? I pray for a deliverance of fears, just like your word says. And I pray for boldness, boldness on a level that we've never experienced before. Father, thank you that we can walk in boldness and in newness and in situations with the peace that you are with us and that you never let us go out of your sight. Father, we don't want to be confined to a life of fear. And so, Father, we let your peace come and roll into us, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And because of that, we have victory over fear. And we have authority in your name, Jesus. 
So, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people here, Lord. And we just say we love you, Father, in your name. Amen. So, church, we're going to move into a time of ministry now. We have prayer teams available who delight and desire to pray with you. So I encourage you to click on the bottom right of your screen. Click that pray button. From there, you'll be matched up with one of our prayer hosts, and you'll go into a private chat, and you can either continue to continue to chat with them online, or you can exchange phone numbers and talk over the phone with one another to pray. So make sure you click on that pray button. Um, as well, we're also going to move into a time of giving. There'll be some prompts up on the screen to let you know how you can continue to give online today. Church, thanks for your generosity. Thanks for continuing to partner with us as we serve on mission and live out the gospel together. Bless you this week, church. Have an amazing Sunday.